with me to the book of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. If you get to Timothy, you've gone too far. Go back a little bit. If you're going to the Revelation, you're going way too far. Go back a little bit further. And uh, First and Second Thessalonians, and we'll look at a few things together. And uh, just before, as I said to you, just before First Timothy, and a couple of things I'll mention to you at the end of the service tonight, and asking the Lord just to guide us. If you found your place in First Thessalonians, say amen. amen. Well, good. Some of you lied because I still hear the pages turning. But anyway, First Thessalonians chapter number 1, and we're going to look at just three or four verses together tonight. And the Bible says, Paul and Silvanius and Timotheus, under the church of Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you always, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in all in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. And we'll stop reading there and take our attention uh, just for these first four verses tonight. And I'm going to preach on this subject. What are you remembered for? When people think of you, they think of something. They think of some word. Maybe they think of some story. But when people are away from you, they're thinking of you. And here the Apostle Paul is thinking of this church at Thessalonica. And he remembers some things about them. Sometimes this is called the ideal church or the model church. There's no in letters, and sometimes like in, in, in Corinth, there was problems they had to address. But here you don't find any significant problems that he's dealing with, uh, some deep theological matters as far as the Lord's return. But he, it's sometimes called, as I said to you, the model church. And, and we look this morning, we happen to be in the book of Acts, and Acts chapter number 17, we understand the founding of this church. They go to Thessalonica, and of course, like any other time, when people save, there's problems. And so you remember that expression, uh, there was, they got certain, what was that, certain fellers, an elude fellers of a baser sort. Uh, that's quite a description of them guys. And there was an uproar, and they took Jason into custody, and Paul and Silas went on. But behind is this church. So just by way of introduction, we're reminded about how it started and we're reminded of it being the model church or an idea church or some things. And it reminds us this, that sometimes God does his great work out of trouble and out of persecution and out of problems. We sometimes have the mistaken notion that God does his ideal work and, per, and, and when everything's smooth and everything's perfectly and no problems, but you'll find God does a great work in the spite of persecution. And as someone said about a perfect church, you've heard it said before, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. It won't be perfect any longer. And though there is no perfect church, there's some things we can learn here. First of all, notice these men in verse number one. We find Paul and Sylvanius and Timotheus. And this is the men that we understand started this second missionary journey in Acts chapter number 15. And Paul and Silas of a Jewish background with Roman citizenship, more than likely, both of them. And Timothy, we know, was a half Greek and half Jewish. His father was a Greek. And if we find them serving together, 
And during the founding of the church where we happen to be this morning, Timothy wasn't mentioned. He was probably left behind at Philippi continuing to serve, but now they're back together, these three men continuing to serve together, and they're riding back, and they're laboring together. Now, what's the significance about that? I want to remind you, there are no real long rangers in God's work. What you find in God's work is partnership, not compromise, but partnership. Paul and the apostle Peter sometimes had conflict, but they went on and served. And Paul and uh, Barnabas had conflict, but they went on and served. But here you find Paul and Silas and, and Timothy all laboring together. And it reminds us that God uses people of a different background, but for the same purpose. Then notice the expression, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father, Notice the little word church. Now, I'm going to try to teach you some things tonight and preach to you and try to give you an application as well in just a moment. Notice this little word church. He says, under the church. And by the way, the Bible word church, it, it literally means a, a, an ecclesia is what the word is, and it's a, a called out assembly, sometimes used for uh, just legal terms and, and government assemblies. But here it has a connotation to a spiritual calling out, a spiritual assembly. And he makes this statement. He says, unto the church, notice this, which is of the Thessalonians. Notice that, the church of the Thessalonians. And so here you find it is a, in the locale of the church of Thessalonica, in the city of Thessalonica. So you have a group of people referred to as the church. Now, I love what we have here. We have a beautiful building. I'm very thankful for it. I love looking in it, walking. I love driving by it. I, I like the parking lot lights. I, I like the brick. I, I like the colors. I like the carpet. I like the wood. If you don't, don't tell anybody. But here's the secret you find. Nowhere in the New Testament is the word church associated to a building. The word church is always referring to a group of believers. Now, an interesting thing here in this verse, don't miss this. He says to the church that is at the church of Thessalonians. So it's referring to a local assembly. And some people say today, well, I'm part of God's church and I'm part of God's family. I understand that, but you, you find 113 times the word church is used in the Bible and 110 of them are clearly referring to a local assembly. If you want to be a part of God's church, you're going to be part of a local assembly. And you, you know, I mean, the televangelist and all those things, I, I'm glad we have some Christian broadcasting things and that's good, but who ministers to family and who baptizes believers and who cares for people at the end of life? You find that in a local assembly. And here he says, he, he, notice, uh, he makes another statement, not only of the Thessalonians, but notice this, which is, now notice this next word, don't miss it, in God the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you have this concept of in the Lord. How did we get in the Father? Well, we got in the Father through the Son. The Bible says that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. So the Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So we understand that our position is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's the beautiful concept of a church I'm trying to teach you and trying to help you understand. The church is at, listen, don't miss this. The church is at Thessalonica but they're in Christ. The church here is at uh, Sandy Bottom, at Elizabethan, Tennessee, 
we're at Carter County. This, this is where we're at. But notice this. If you're truly a part of God's church, you're not just at a place. You're in him. And see, that's the paradox that we struggle with in, in, in the Christian life is that, well, yes, we are on this earth, and yes, God has placed us in a place to serve him, but reality is we're in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see the picture. And then he gives us, he gives us this salutation, and he says this, grace be unto you. And peace from God the Father. And you can read about that. And they, some think that's a connection of, of a couple different greetings of, of, the, of the Jewish greeting and of the, the Roman greeting and all those type of things. But it's, it's, it's really a, a greeting that Paul uses. And he makes this statement over and over again. Notice this, grace and peace. Now notice this with me, grace and peace. You say, what is grace, preacher? Well, grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is Christ's riches, uh, God's riches at Christ's expense. It is God giving us what we do not deserve. And someone made the point, and if you study Scripture, I believe this to be true. It is always in this order. Listen, it's always in this order. Grace, then peace. You say, why, preacher? Because you can never have the peace of God without the grace of God. And so he's riding back. Now, imagine this. We left, these, we left these believers this morning, and Jason and some of his leaders were in custody. <laughs> Acts chapter 17, they, they slid them out by night, and they went on to Berea. And Paul writes back under this precious spirit of God, and he says this. He says, you're at Thessalonica? Yes. You're in Christ? Yes. And he says this to him: grace and peace. And all grace comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're thankful for that. But notice the second thing in the second verse. Not only do we see the men, and they're laboring together, but notice the mention. The Bible says in verse number two, we give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers. And notice again the little subject of we, that, that thought of united thanksgiving. We believe that pronoun goes back to Paul and Silas and Timothy, and they're, they're thanking the Lord. And he says this, we give thanks, notice this, to God. Thanksgiving is one of Paul's themes. Three times in this letter, he gives it a heart of gratitude. And Paul says, I, I'm thanking God. Notice this. He says, I'm not just thanking you or I'm not just saying, man, y'all have done a great job. He says, no, 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 no. He says, I'm giving thanks to God. Thanksgiving is always Godward. We're about to celebrate in America Thanksgiving Day. But really, Thanksgiving, if you notice here in this verse, Thanksgiving should be the lifestyle of every believer. Thanksgiving, look, Thanksgiving is we're saying, thank you, Lord. I, I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my children. And there's some things I should tell them, but the reality is gratitude goes to God. And he says, I thank God. And notice he loves this. He says, not just Thanksgiving. And someone said it this way. He, he, he leads us into the presence of God. And then he makes this statement. This is one of those words that convicts me in the Bible. He said, always. Now notice he said this, we give thanks to God always for you all. 
He makes a connection. He says, we are always thankful for you. But in just a moment, you'll see he makes a connection to prayers. So we find this, that he's always mentioning them in prayer to God. And he's always praying for them. And he's always thankful for them. And I say this to you, thanksgiving was continual. It is a present tense verb. He's never skipping a day. In spite of their imperfections, you find in chapter 3, verse number 10, there's some things that are still wanting in their life. He didn't say, well, you got to fix everything and then I'll thank God for you. He said, no, I'm thanking God for you for what God has already done in your life and every time I pray, I'm thanking God for you and every time I, I you come across my mind, I'm praying for you and you find this thought about always and then you find the end of the verse. He says, making mention of you in prayers. Now here's the connection. Oh, in the first verse, he's connecting in Christ at Thessalonica. In this verse, he's connecting the subject of thanksgiving and prayer. You really want to be thankful for someone? Pray for them. The word prayer here is just a generic word, prayer, making intercession, making requests, making supplication. He says, God always brings you to our mind, and we, when we pray, we're praying for you. And I ask you this question, as believers of a local assembly, are we praying for one another? And are we praying for one another with a heart of gratitude? Not you, we say, well, you don't know what they've done, or you don't know what they're missing in life. It's, I said to you, chapter 3, verse number 10, he alludes to the fact that there's some things that are lacking in their life. He says, but I thank God, right where you are, right what you've done. Later in this chapter, he says, you've turned from idols. They may not have arrived where they need to be, but he said, every time I think of you, I thank God for what he's done in your life. And as local assembly, as a believer, a group of local assembly, uh, baptized believers here in our church, I wonder, can we say to one another, I'm always thanking God for you, and I'm always praying for you. I have to think, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say this. I'm sure he prayed for the church generally, but I believe he played, prayed for some people specifically. I don't think you can think of the church at Thessalonica without Jason. They'd been at Jason's house. Jason let him take him in custody so Paul and Silas could escape with their life. You don't think when they thought of that church, they thought the sacrifice that Jason had made for it. And I wonder, do you pray for your church? Do you pray for one another? I wonder as a pastor, do you pray for your pastor? There are people I know, no doubt, in this room and some watching, they say this to me. They say, we pray for you and your family every day, and I believe it. I hope it's a prayer with thanksgiving. <laughs> but he said this. He said, we were thankful to God for you. So we prayed about it. Someone has said this, and you'll see the quote in the coming days, said, what if God only gave us today what we were thankful for yesterday? I mean, we're, we're, look, we're spoiled brats in America. Let's be honest. I mean, if our food's not just right or if they don't have our favorite item at the grocery store, we think there's some injustice to the whole world, you know? And if you're like me, you go shopping and they don't have your size. Somebody said, stay in the big and tall section, you won't have that problem. And it's amazing, honestly, how little gratitude we have. But here's the subject. Please don't miss this. The gratitude here was not for things, but it was for people 
and what God had done in their lives. He said, man, when I think, of, when I think about you at Thessalonica, he said, I just, I thank God for you always. Oh, I know you've not arrived yet, but he said, but I'm just thanking the Lord. Notice the fourth thing, or third thing with me. Not only you see the men and you see the mention, but notice the third thing. You see the model. Now, we're introduced to a concept here, first time in Scripture, sometimes called the famous triad or the, the three cardinal virtues of the Christian life. You, you find this subject, uh, the subject of faith and of love and of hope. And, and Paul repeats some of these things later in, in, in his epistles. And even if you remember, you can go to the church of Ephesus in Revelation, I believe chapter 2, and it, it says that God remembered your, your labor and your hope. And, and it gives us these things, your work, and you find it again and again in Scripture. But here you find a connection, an interesting connection. You find the three objects, and you find three verbs or three participles. And he connects them. He says, I'm remembering, I'm calling to mind, I'm remembering some things about you. And when I close my eyes, or at least I have to close my eyes to remember, sometimes I close my eyes and still can't remember. He said, but when I'm praying and thanking God for you, he says, there's some things I remember about you. Notice the first one of these. He says, I remember your work of faith. Work being that, that, that action word, that word of action. Here it's a work not for faith, but it's a work produced by faith. The book of James reminds us that faith without works is dead. It, it has no intrinsic value. Here someone has said it this way, the faith of the Thessalonians was more than speculative belief. It was interjected and productive. You say, some people say, well, I've got faith. Well, you can't tell about anything they do. Say, so well, I believe in God. I trusted Jesus as my Savior. And we say, glory to God. But he said, I didn't just think of them as their faith. He says, I thought of their work of faith, that because of faith, they have now begun to work. They have begun to do some things. And I've seen what faith has produced. If faith has not produced works in your life, then I beg you, you should examine your faith. Ephesians chapter number 2, verse 8 and 9, we often quote it, For by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we stop right there and say, Look, preacher, you can't get to heaven through works. And we all say, Amen, that's glory to God, that's true. But read verse number 10. The Bible says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter number 2. So we are designed to work from faith. And someone has said it this way, I don't work in order to be saved, but I work because I have been saved. When I say I believe in the, the salvation, the resurrection of our Savior, that I'm in the Lord Jesus Christ, that I'm part of his church, that I'm part of his bride, I, I'm part of his family, I'm heirs and joint heirs with Jesus, that better be more than a slogan on your shirt or, or some byline on Facebook or Instagram or some other social media. That better be a fabric of your life that produces fruit, that produces work. He says, when I think about you, I don't think of empty faith. I don't think of professions of faith. He says, I think of works of faith. And then he makes a second statement. He says, I not only think of the work of faith, but notice this. He says, I think of the labor of love. Someone said this, that work can be fun, but labor never is. 
Labor just pictures this one thing, and that is this. It, that pictures the turmoil. Here the emphasis is on the, the word labor. It's, exerta- it's, 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 it's fatigue and toil. And so you find the idea of laboring. I picture it as a lot of things that go unnoticed. You walk into a building like this and you see the beautiful colors on the wall. But before there was one color on the wall, there was a lot of steps to that. You see the look, you walk in this building and you see the work. But for the most part, we have no concept of the labor. You walk into a church, not just physically, but you walk into a church and and we see people coming and, and God doing some things and we thank the Lord for, but behind that, there was labor. I use this illustration as simple as I can. Someone said to me a moment ago in the the, um, senior adult Bible school, we had a great time. We did. And I got to come up here and um, I got to be Bob Barker with my extended microphone. How many of you saw my long microphone yet? But the truth is, that's a work. But the labor was someone organizing the game and finding out how much that stuff cost and and decorating and all those steps that go into it. And he makes this statement. Please don't miss this. We're going somewhere with this. He says, I I remember your labor. And then he says this. He says, I don't just remember your labor. He says, I remember the labor of love. Now, you know, many of you know that the Bible uses different words for love. This is not some romantic love. This is not phileo love. This is not brotherly love. This is truly what the, we would use the term. This is Christian love. And at the height of Christian love is the cross. The Bible says that despising the shame, he endured the cross. And the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrated his love toward us. And so when you think about love, notice this, laboring and toiling is never fun. It's by the sweat of the brow and it's laboring. But he said this, the only way you will continue to labor is if you continue to love. God's work is not always easy. Loving people gets hard. Helping people gets hard. But notice he says this, he says, I remember your labor of love. Someone said this, without this love, they wouldn't have carried on in the hard time. You ever met somebody that just kept going regardless of how hard it got? You say, man, they must love to labor. No, they've learned to love. They, they don't just love themselves. They don't love other people. The truth is we have to love the Lord Jesus Christ and we love him because he first loved us. And, and the love of Christ, the Bible says this, the love of Christ constraineth us. It propels us. It, it encaptures us. It moves us unlike anything else can. He says, and I'm remembering your labor of love. You say, what kind of labor? Oh, they, they labor toward the sick and the needy. They more than likely labored in the persecuted church because we know Acts chapter 17, there were people that were in prison. There were people that were held for ransom. And so you imagine they labored. And I'm sure Paul heard the stories about how they came together in difficult times. But notice on in this chapter in verse number eight, they didn't just labor for the poor and needy. They didn't just labor in the sickness. and They didn't just labor in the persecuted. But in verse number eight, it says this, and from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but all also in every place your faith to God were to spread of odds so that we might not speak anything. 
We need not speak to you anything. He said this, not only did they labor in difficult circumstances, but notice this, they continued to labor to spread the gospel. Oh, you would think a persecuted church. Yes, a persecuted church would have been an inward-focused church, but it wasn't. It was the exact opposite. He said, your faith has spread all over. And from you, notice this, from you sounded forth. The voice has gone out from you. You say, how did they do that? Well, they had a work of faith. They had a labor of love. But then notice the third thing here in this model. You find this, they had the patience of hope. Now, patience is almost no one I know's strongest suit. But here the word patience has to do with endurance. Patience is getting up and doing the right thing over and over and over again, though we may not see this result that we want. But he said this, patience is the steadfast endurance. But it's not just patience. But notice this, it is patience of hope. Now, hope is not a wishful thinking. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's not like, like you may say to me, like I, I hope to get to do something fun this week or I hope we get to do this or I hope we get to do that. And that's a wishful thinking. I mean, we say, well, I hope this happens. But here the subject of hope is connected to the Lord's second coming. If this whole epistle, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, are all connected to, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians connected to the Lord's return. And he says this, it is, a, it is a patience of hope. Hope for the child of God it is not a speculation, but it is a certainty. And he says you're enduring based upon the hope that you have. Hope relates, as I said to you, to the future with anticipation. Say, so where's the hope? No, don't miss this in the middle of this verse. Don't miss it again. Where's the church? In verse 1, they're in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where's our faith? Where's our hope? Where's our love? There it is again. In our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice this. In the sight of God and our Father. He gives them a reminder. He says, look. Not only do I remember what you've done, not only does the other world know what you've done, he says this, he says, but God sees what you've done. Your faith, your love, and your hope. Notice the connection. I'm going to read to you two quotes that I, I think here, uh, picture it, you know, because faith, it, the Bible gives us this order, faith, love, and then hope. A generation ago, Mr. Lightfoot said it this way, faith rests on the past, love works in the present, and hope looks to the future. Another one has said it this way, faith looks back to a crucified Savior, love looks up to a crowned Savior, and hope looks on to a coming Savior. He said, when I stop and thank God for you, it's what I remember about you. I remember your work of faith. I remember your labor of love. And he says, and I remember your patience of hope. But notice the fourth thing with me quickly, and you come to conclusion. And verse number four says this, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Here you find a concept that sometimes people have a misunderstanding Election of God, you say, what is that connected to? Hold your place here and go back with me to Ephesians chapter number 
one. Do you find their motive? What is their motive to carry on? Why do we endure hardness as a good soldier? Why do we rest on in spite of persecution? Well, you find this concept of election really explained to us in great detail in Ephesians chapter number 1. He gives it to us and he says to the church at Ephesus in verse 1, and verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Notice this, in heavenly places in Christ. If you haven't marked it, marked it in your Bible. Then he says this, According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And then he says in verse 6, A few weeks ago I preached on this subject, Accepted in the Beloved. If you have questions about this passage, go back and get that message accepted in the beloved. And then he says in verse number seven, in whom, there it is in a person, we have redemption and forgiveness. It says it again in verse number nine that he's made us known his purposes in himself. In verse number 10, he said this, that he's gonna bring all things together in Christ and even in him. In verse number 11, he says, in whom we have an inheritance predestined according to the purpose. He says, we find all these things in Christ. How did we get in Christ? Verse 12 tells us that, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And again, in verse number 20, he reminds us of what we find in Christ. Now, here's how he concludes this first sentence. At first Thessalonians, he says this. He says, you beloved of God, those of you that are loved of God. He says, remember your election. Some people have a misunderstanding of Bible election. Let me say it to you the best way I can show it to you this way. Uh, the election of the elect of God are always pictured in Christ Jesus. And God chose from the foundation of the world to save those that are in Christ. And in Christ, we have all the promises of God. He says, when you think about your, when you want to struggle and you want to, you want to forget and you want to, to fail and you want to back up, he said, I'll remind you, knowing, brethren, your election of God. You think about it in just history, how the word of God got to them. Now, it's fresh on my mind. Let me rephrase that. It's fresh on my mind, but it's been a few weeks. I'll remind you. Paul was planning to go back and visit the same churches he went to with Barnabas, right? They were going to go in reverse order and go back and check on everybody. And God parted their ways, and then all of a sudden, there's what we call the Macedonian call. And Paul took the gospel in a totally different direction than he was planning to. Oh, he had to get thrown out of a few cities and escape, escape some things to get there, go to jail. But when he got to Thessalonica, so here's what, here's what Paul was reminding them in the conclusion. He says, remember how the word of God got to you and remember who you are in Christ. Now I'm gonna make this application I'm done. I want to be remembered well, don't you? I like, I want, I want everybody to remember me and remember the good things.
But here, let me say it to you this way. The only way that we will be remembered well if we remember who we are in Christ. See, when we remember who we are in Christ, then we can have that labor of love. We can keep working. We can keep laboring. When we remember who we are in Christ, then we can have that hope, that steadfast assurance that the Lord's soon return. We can know that when we say, well, we know who we are in Christ, we can remember our faith and it can produce works in our life. So he says to them, do not forget that you are loved of God, that you have been placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now go live for him. In a little while, you'll see the, the subject. He said this, you turn to God from idols. You're waiting for the Lord's return. And I ask you a twofold question tonight. The first one is this. Do you remember who you are? Here, the Bible says the church of God, the church at Thessalonians, the church of the Thessalonians in Christ. Do you remember who you are? Then I ask you the second question. How do you want to be remembered? Boy, I'd love to be remembered for faith and love and hope, wouldn't you? That'd be, what, what a way to be remembered. And I challenge you with this last thought. Isn't that something else to be thankful for that the gospel got to you? As we sit here in a gospel-saturated area, think about the places that the gospel has never gone. And I challenge you with this. Continue to serve the Lord, yes. Continue to labor, yes. But may we all leave here tonight with a heart of gratitude for what God has done with his word and what God has done with I want you to bow with me in prayer.